let's start with this. We, we come into Leviticus. We, we kicked that off last week, but as we come into the book of Leviticus, we come in with um, one really, not, it's not a problem, but, but there was something that needed to be solved. We had to get to a solution on something. That thing was, if you remember, the, uh, the tabernacle had been very intricately put together and put in place so that God might come and dwell among his people, right? And so you've got that place, the inside, that holy of holies where, where Yahweh came and dwelled with his people. Now, that's great news. The issue now is because he's in that space, we can't get there anymore, right? So it, we went through the time where it was going to be constructed. So they worked really hard at, at finding all the things and doing it exactly the way he said to put it together. But then once it was finished, bam, he's there. So now that he's there in all of his Shekinah glory, it, it, is, it is living in that spot, it's dwelling in that place. Now that he's there, now sinful man can't be there. Okay, so that's, that's kind of, as we enter into Leviticus, that's, if I just brought everything down to like, okay, if we get up and we try to solve problems, we, gotta have, we have to know what the problem is. Now that we know what the problem is, and, and I say problem, it's a great thing that, that God is here, he's, he's with them, but there is now the issue of I can't get in that spot because he's there. So, and he knew that, and so he made a way for us then to get to him even though we as human beings, and at this time specifically Israel, were sinful. So that's kind of where we come into Leviticus and we start talking about these different things that were being asked of them. Now, what we always want to make sure that we clarify is that those, they were not doing those things in order to, to gain salvation, right? We, we talk about that a lot. This was not about do these things in order to be saved. These were about do these things in order to be in a place where you can approach his holiness. And so that's, that's where we are here. Now, as we get into this week's portion that's called command, so there's, there's a command that's given. So now it, it, we're gonna pick up in Leviticus chapter six, but I want you to think, before we get into that, I want you to think about your job. What is your job? What, what is it that you do? If you think about your job, you can probably think about someone that might want to have your job, whatever that may be, that you're doing something, and there's probably somewhere, someone going, I wish I had that job, the one that you do, whether it be... I, I work for the school district, right? And I'm, I have a title. My title is I, I'm the coordinator for STEAM and innovation. Nobody really knows what that is. But I get to do a lot of really neat things for our district. And so now there are people probably that go, man, I wish I had Zach's job. Like I see him out there and, you know, he goes and does stuff. And, and like I get that. But they don't see all of the things that I do they only see the things that are forward-facing, right? I mean, you might say the same thing about a stay-at-home mom. Like, somebody might say that, wish I had Casey's job. Now, how great would that be? But 
they don't see all of the things that you do during a week, right? I mean, any, and so you could roll this out to anything. Matt's got a super cool job. He, man, he travels and like check his Instagram. Matt's life is incredible, right? He takes pictures and, but Matt, does anybody ever see other than your crew right here, did they see the hours that you spend in front of a screen editing so that beautiful stuff that comes out on Instagram or that are on y'all's site and things that get published for the world to see. People look at that and go, Matt's got a cool job. He gets to take pictures. But they don't see all of those other things. So you could apply this to anything and everything that you do. Somebody would look at it and go, that's a neat thing that you get to do. But that's because they only see the things that are forward facing. They only see the things that are out front. The reality is there's a lot of there's a lot of junk that goes into, and not just that, there was a lot of things that got you to the point where you could do that thing. I, I mean, I had this interaction with somebody this week that was like, um, I think I'm ready to do what you do. Like, okay, but I've got, I've got multiple bachelor's degrees and a master's degrees, master degree and hours and hundreds of hours in different types of trainings to be able to know how to do what it is that I do. Like, I'm thankful for the job that I have and, and the things that I get to do. I, I love it. I love what I get to do. But, but they don't see all of the things that it took to get to that point. So I want you to kind of think about that. Think about what it, whatever it is you do all the way through. Specifically, I think about like Pastor Paul, you know, like He's semi-retired, right? But what did it take to get to that point? And even with that, the things that he does on a week-to-week basis, those are not the things that people see. So now as we talk about this role of priest to the children of Israel at this time, as, as they're out there, they've, they've, they've built this tabernacle, they're going to they, they kind of understand the plan. They know that we're going to set this thing up and we're going to be led by that pillar of fire. That's going to show us what we need to do. But in order for, like you, you ever give any thought to all that was riding on the job that the priest did? And, and I'm not just talking about that day of atonement kind of thing, but the day-to-day stuff that had to happen so that those people, all of them, didn't get completely just cut off. It's a a big, big job. So we're going to look at this. We're not going to read this entire text, but I do want you to kind of get an idea on what this actually looked like. So let's let's be in Leviticus chapter 6. This week's portion starts in Verse 8. And I'm just going to kind of go through this just so we can kind of start getting our heads wrapped around what it was. What was that role? What did that, what did that look like? So uh, Leviticus chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command Aaron and his son, saying, This is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth of the altar all night until the morning. 
and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garments and put his linen undergarments on his body. And he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has, uh, has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garment and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning, and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it, and shall burn it in the fat of the peace of offering. Uh, of the peace offering, fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. So I just want to stop for just a second. That small portion that we just read, it just. He's talking specifically to, here's what you need to do. You're going to build a fire on this altar. But before you do that, put on this garment, then put on this other garment. Now go, you build the fire, and that fire needs to burn all night long. And then in the morning, you're going to take the ashes from that, and then, but don't let the fire go out because it also has to burn all day. And so you're going to take those ashes. Now, before you take those ashes, go change, put on a different garment. Now come get the ashes, take them outside the camp to a clean place. Don't let that fire go out, by the way, and then come back in. So just in this small, this small piece, you see like, and again, like Pastor Paul talked about last week, and the week before, this issue of this strange fire. It was highly, highly, highly important that they kept this fire going. This was the one that they were to use for their burnt offerings. Let's keep going. Verse 14. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of fine flour of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it Aaron and his son shall eat. It shall be eaten, uh, it shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meetings they shall eat it. It shall, be, it shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offering. It is a thing most holy like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it. A decree forever throughout your generation from the Lord's food offering. Whatever touches them shall become holy. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the offering that Aaron and his son shall offer to the Lord on the day when he is anointed. A tenth of an ephah, ephah of fine flour as a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening, it shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons who is anointed to, to, to succeed him shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Even grain offering, every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten." The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is, is killed, shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offered it for his sin shall eat it. 
in a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meetings. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that in which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel, that shall be scoured and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meetings to make anointment, uh, atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. So I just want to stop. I'm gonna, I want to stop right there. Um, so he goes through and, and gives these specific things, very, very specific things. This is what you need to do. When you do this, then you're going to do this. And then the, the carryover is this. So all the way through all these different types of offerings that they're to make. So as you think about that role of priest, that if we called it a job, thinking back to that, like what is that job that we have? What are, what are all the details of it? What are the things that we have to do in that job that nobody ever really sees? Nobody knows all the details. These are the things that, the pre, that Aaron and his sons were to do every day, continuously. And if they did not do them correctly, you run the risk of alienating a a nation of people from the holiness of God. He spoke to Moses and he said, tell them to do it this way. Tell them to do it like this. And then at the end of it, it would say, it is most holy. You see, the problem is if you don't do it the way he said to do it, guess what? It's not holy. And guess what? It's not accepted. And guess what? We alienate God. We, we, we drive a wedge between him and, and us. So this role, this job that they had been called to do, that's heavy. That's a heavy responsibility. That's a heavy burden to carry. I want you to look really quickly in uh, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 24 through 27. I, I want you to see this because I want us to make the connection between these things. Like, why in Leviticus, why was Yahweh so specific in the things that he told Aaron to tell the priest to do? Why was it so detailed? Well, it, if we go back to the problem, the problem was they created this place, this incredible place for Yahweh to dwell, but then they couldn't get in there because of their own lack of holiness. So he said, that's fine. I'm going to give you a way. I'm going to show you how to get here. And then boom, do this, do this. And this makes it holy. So then we go to Hebrews chapter 7. I'm going to look at these, just these few verses right here. Verse, beginning in verse 24, it says, But he holds, he holds his priesthood 
permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save the utmost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sin and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. We're going to look at a little bit more of the context of this verse in a minute, but I want to make this connection between the things that, that God was telling Moses to tell the priest to do. The reason that he wanted those things done that way is because he knew he was going to provide that high priest. They were having to do this daily, not only for their own sin, but also for the sin of everyone else. In, um, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. See, Peter is saying, you're that holy nation. You're that royal priesthood. If, if we think back, you go back and, and read, carry on throughout this week's Torah portion, starting in chapter 6, verse 8, and go all the way through um, chapter 8, all the way at the end of chapter 8. You go through and read, it's, it's, it's going to lay out specifically all of those details, all of the things that Moses said. And that's what this portion is about. It was that commandment. This is what I, I command you to tell this group of people. And, and you'll go through and you'll see things like um, how how Moses told Aaron that he was to consecrate himself and his sons. And, and they had to go and first they had to wash with water. After they washed with water, then they were to, uh, to put on that, that priestly garment that we looked at very specifically in, in the book of Exodus. We, we talked about all of the parts of that, how it was all put together and the purpose in those things. So they were washed with water and then they put on that garment and then they were to be anointed with with oil. So they had to do that in order to, to kind of consecrate themselves for the service that they were, they were to go do. You remember there was this, this rotation of the people that were doing that. So then once they were set apart, though, then there was this, there's this process that, you, that you'll read in the text, kind of the ordination process of that. Um, in order for that to happen, first of all, a sin offering they were, they were slaughtered, so the sin offering was slaughtered. And then um, a special ram of ordination was, was offered. That ram's blood, you might remember this part, that ram's blood was taken. It was put on the right earlobe, the right thumb, and the right big toe. And then after that was done, then blood was sprinkled around the altar then they did the wave offering. You remember we talked about that in the book of Exodus. They did, they did the wave offering inside of that space. Um, 
And then that meat that came from that offering was, was eaten by them with unleavened bread. And then Aaron and his sons would remain in that place for seven days. This was how they would ordain those priests to go do the work that they were being called to do. It's very, very specific, very detailed in how it was laid out. First do this, then do this, then do this. Go all the way through and then stay in that place for seven days. That was part of their cleansing process in order to be able to do the work that they had been called to do. So as we roll it forward into that new covenant, into Jesus coming and becoming that high priest for us. There's, there's a great text in, in the book of Luke. It's Luke chapter four, really chapter four, five, and six. It talks about Jesus and in it, it gives some of those specifics of, of kind of the, the high priestly role that he would begin to take for his people, that he, he starts transitioning into that role of high priest. And you, you see it kind of laid out in Luke chapter 4, 5, and 6. Um, in that, you'll see uh, Jesus coming into the, he comes into the synagogue. He, uh, he teaches the scriptures to people during that time. Um, he reads the word of God. He taught it. Um, he, he spoke truth to people, even sometimes they, even though sometimes they didn't really want to hear it. He, he gave them that truth. He, he cast out demons. He healed people. Uh, he, he called people to come, and, to come and follow him. He forgave sin. He, he called people to repentance. Like He began to serve in that capacity of high priest. And it just like... As I read Leviticus and I read all through that and then started making that connection to Jesus and him and him coming, like that was that was part of Yahweh's plan from the beginning. Like all of the things that we go through. And and if you've if you've been doing, you know, we started in in Leviticus one last week. If you're if you're doing the Torah readings during the week. Um, and then as we carry on, you can get wrapped up in, um, some of it feels redundant. You know, you start kind of like, well, I feel like I've read that part before because he's going through and talking about these different sacrifices and things. And it starts like, I think that what I, let me just confess. I think that what I do is as I'm reading through that, I'll get, I'll get in this rhythm of just like, reading to complete it. Am I the only one that does that sometimes? So like you, you start getting into that, that thing like, well, I, I want to get through it. And, and with this, because I've, I've known for a couple of weeks that I was going to be teaching out of this text, I've, what I'll do sometimes in the morning when I'm getting ready is I'll, turn my, I'll you know, launch my Bible app and I'll put it on Leviticus chapter 6 and I'll turn it on where it's reading. And so I'm getting ready and stuff and it's just in the background. It's just going. I'm not saying that that's a bad thing. Like I'm, I'm putting the word of God in my head and in my heart. That's, that's a positive thing. But I think that we have a tendency, especially when we get into some of this, to allow it to become mundane, 
to allow it to be like, we'll get wrapped up in, into the, the repetitiveness of it or like, okay, I'll just kind of skip through because I kind of know what he's saying now. Or I get it, it's just the same cycle as what we saw in the other offering that we were to do. And we, we get into that. God was very, very, very into every one of those details. He was very into it, and he is very into it. Those things foreshadow Yeshua, the Messiah, who would come and would, would become our high priest forever. The one that would no longer need to make daily sacrifices for his sin or for the sins of others. He would make it once and for all. And as I read through that and, and, and you start making those connections that, that Jesus is that common thread that's pulled straight through the scriptures. From Genesis to Revelation, the, he's the one that ties all of those things together. And, and we will, we, we'll get wrapped up in, in details and go, okay, okay, I get it. I get it, I get it. That stuff is pointing to Jesus. And that ultimately we are going to be redeemed, set free, and he is going to come and dwell inside of us. You see, the, we go back to what, what was the problem? Like, why are we... Why does this book of Leviticus exist? It exists because they built this place for God to be. And then once it was finished and he got inside of it, they couldn't get in there anymore. They couldn't be there. Because he's holy and they're not. If you approach it, you drop dead. That's it. So we can't get there. And he knew we wouldn't be able to. And he said, I'm going to put a structure in place. I'm going, to put, I'm going to put something in place to where if you'll follow my, if you'll follow my lead in this, if you'll follow the things, the details, if you'll walk and live in the details that I give you, I'll give you access to me. And, and that's what Jesus did. He came and gave us access to the holiness of God through his person. And, you know, it, it gets into, as you carry through Leviticus, you get into things. We, we've talked about this, but like you start getting into things like dietary, dietary restrictions. You, you get into things like, I'm going to tell you what's clean and I'm going to tell you what's not clean. And I'm going to do that for a reason also. But listen, I mean, we talk about this all the time, but those things don't save you. And look, those things don't make God love you more. But when we get into the details of how he said this is the way life works, what ends up happening is we love him more as a result of getting into the details of the way he said, this is the way it works. 
And then Jesus came. And he was about those details too. And he became that sacrifice once and for all. For everyone, forever. I want us to, to look at, at two texts in the book of Hebrews that do tie these these two parts together. We've got, God said to Moses, tell Aaron these things. Do, do it like this. And then we, we, have, they did, we have something that they didn't have. We have the ability to kind of roll it out and go, well, what did that look like? Well, this is what it looked like. So in, uh, in Hebrews chapter seven, there's just kind of a little bit more context to the, the text that we read a few minutes ago, but I want you to catch the whole of it. Hebrews chapter seven. Let's start in. Um, let's start in verse twenty-three. It says, "The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented by death from continuing in office." So, why were there specific rules that said, "Here's how, here's how you consecrate yourself." in order to be clean. Here's, here's the process of, of ordination so that you can remain clean. Why did there need to be a process in place for that? Because those people die. They, there were going to need to be others. So there had to be a plan in place to be able to, okay, let's get others in here. Let's train more priests. Let's bring more priests in here. So the book of Hebrews is saying the reason there had to be so many is because they were constrained by death. They, they couldn't live forever. So there had to be a plan. There had to be a process in place. Verse 24, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. That's our high priest. Don't, like, don't let that just escape from you. That's, that's who he is. That's his nature. Verse 27, he has no need. Like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily. First, for his own sin, and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priest, but the word of the oath, which came later than, later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This law was put into place, but what the author of Hebrews said, but then what we see later on is that the son was put into that spot because he can serve there forever. It's incredibly powerful. Incredibly powerful. Let's go, let's look in, 
in Hebrews chapter 9. I, w- I, want, I want you to get this too. Um, we're going to start, I think I had it start in verse 11 up here. So we'll just, we'll go with that. Um, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. This one's a little bit lengthier, but just, just stay with me. Um, but when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. <laughs> did, you, did you get that? The, the problem was this, this incredible place was, was built and put together so that, that Yahweh might come and dwell among his people. But there was this huge issue that we couldn't get to him anymore. Can you, I don't know if we, I don't know if we can really like connect with how desperate that might feel, but they couldn't get there. He said, I'll put something in place so you're gonna sacrifice this animal and you're gonna take that blood and you're gonna go in and if you'll do it just like this and if you, if you apply the blood of this ram and of this goat and if, if you'll apply this blood, I'll allow you to come in and, and, and I'll allow you to commune with me in that place. But Jesus came and like he didn't need the blood of goats and Cows and rams, he didn't need it because he applied his own blood to that, giving access. He became that sacrifice himself, granting access to a holy God for us. Okay, keep going that way. Okay, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of flesh, how much more, I love that part, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Like if that was good enough, if it was good enough to get access to him through defiled people and things, if that would work, How much more, if it's his blood, can he purify and sanctify us and separate us apart and give us access to more of him? How much more does that work? Verse 15, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeemed them from the transgression committed under the first covenant. And we talked about that. The covenant was broken, and the only way to fix it, to heal it, to, to make it right again is death. That's the only thing that could do it. So he died. He fixed it. Verse 16, for when... For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effort only 
effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. It doesn't work. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God. What does it say after that? On our behalf. It said there were these things that were made that were made as copies of heavenly things. But it says, listen, he didn't have to go into a place where there are copies made to represent something else. He went into heaven itself. Because he was worthy to do that. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest entered the holy places every year with blood, not his own. The, the high priest, when they went in once a year to make, that wasn't their blood, right? That was, they, they took it and they took it in. They didn't offer their own. For when he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Amen. This, this connection between all of those details, and, and I really just, really just for Tom's sake, we, we didn't read the entire portion, but if you haven't yet, I do encourage you to go and, and read Leviticus 6 through 8 and, and, and just see, like, see all of those specific things that were asked of the priest to do in, in order to, to, 
in order to set themselves apart, to, to sanctify themselves and make themselves able to do the work, that, that ordination process, the actual action of taking things and mixing them and, and what they were to eat and how they were to take it and offer it, all of those specific details. Like, I think we need that. I think we need that part of it. But apart from making that connection back into what we know Jesus came to do, the, we will get wrapped up into details and go, I just, I'm going to, I'm going to read it to get through it. And, and we'll miss it. We'll miss the beauty of a Leviticus 6, 7, and 8. Like I remember growing up in churches and people going, well, don't, if I were you, Mr. New Christian, I would probably just avoid that part of the book and maybe just like read the book of John. Like, just do that. Like, I remember hearing people like, uh, there's going to be a lot of stuff there that, that like, you're not going to really understand it. And we need that. We need those details. We need to know what God said, do it this way. I've got a plan. There's an issue. I'm here. I'm dwelling in this place, but you can't get to me. So let me show you how to get to me. But then ultimately what that's going to do is paint for you a picture of the one that I'm going to send that will give you access to me once and for all. What a good God. What a good and gracious, loving, long-suffering. What a good God. And, and only a good God does that kind of thing. I'm going to show you how it works, but listen, ultimately... I, I am going to do the work. I'm going to paint this picture for you. And I'm going to do the work for you. But then as a result of that knowledge, uh, when that goes into your heart, I mean, doesn't it make us want to love him at a deeper level? Like, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it do something in us to make us want to do it the way he said do it? To dive into his economy and like live the way he said, like this is the way life works best if you'll do it this way. And that's why I say like he's, he's not, he doesn't change how much he loves you. He can't. He can't love you more. But my personal testimony, I just walked away from, from things like facts and history. If I could just tell you, for me personally, I've seen it. I now know what it feels like to, to do things maybe that I didn't fully understand or and, and maybe at times are seem strange or you get ridiculed for, but 
knowing that every time I make those decisions that it makes me think about him. Like it, it presses me into him. It gives me more of him, which is what I needed. He serves as in that role as our high priest forever. He, he didn't have to take the blood of something else and go in and, and, and create this, this barrier. But he took his own blood one time and it gives us that access. And the most powerful things that, and, and most impactful things that I can remember learning very early on after I'd been saved is hearing people teach about the veil being torn in the temple. To this day, probably one of the most impactful things that I can, I can remember hearing that that veil that, that kept people safe from his holiness was torn in half from top to bottom. And then when you get into the details of what that veil was made of and how thick and virtually indestructible it actually was, Yeshua Messiah did that for us to give us access to the Holy of Holies. And then to send his spirit to dwell inside of us so that like not like moment by moment by moment we can know what it's like to commune with God. I mean, when the high priests were executing their role, they could get into that space one time a year. Once a year, they could get into that space where he was. We, we live in a, an existence where moment by moment, we commune with the holiness of God. It's, that is an unbelievable thought. And it should shape our lives. Like it, there should be things about our lives that are completely ruined by that reality. That moment by moment by moment, we commune with His holiness. That, that should call us into deeper waters. It should, should push us to a point of, of desiring better for our lives than, like, we settle a lot, Right? We settle for lesser things all the time. Things that we think are like going to be the thing that does it for us, whether that, you know, we talk about jobs, maybe it's a job or whatever. I mean, we, we end up settling for these things when moment by moment, fellowship with the God that literally created everything around you. 
and that sometimes we might act like that second best? It doesn't make any sense. Uh, I, I encourage you to go and like pick up this week's tour and, and, and go through and look at those details. And then after you do, flip back into Hebrews chapter 9 and, and, and read, read through what he did for us. Com- compare those things. Look at the detail. Look at, at what was asked and then see what he did. <laughs>